0: Welcome to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a Beverly Hills-based psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. Thanks for joining me here where I talk about sex, relationships, mental health, and dive into your questions with practical answers and real solutions. Each week, I share insights aimed at helping you build an authentic and healthy relationship with yourself, with others, and with your sexuality. It's time to get naked, emotionally, mentally, and on your own time, physically. Hi everyone. This week we are going to get right down to business and talk about something that comes up a lot in sessions with clients and is something that millions of women and people who menstruate deal with on an annual basis. Um, Today I've got Dr. Shama Matthews, a board certified OBGYN and minimally invasive gynecological surgeon and non-certified menopause specialist with me. As both a mother and a wife herself, Shama's goal is to help women of all ages maintain their own quality of life while keeping up with their day-to-day needs with families and careers. Her practice really emphasizes the importance of patient education and empowerment to make the best possible decisions for themselves and their bodies. And Dr. Shama's areas of expertise include endometriosis, fibroids, chronic pelvic pain, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and what we're really going to be focusing on today, which is perimenopause and sex. Dr. Matthews is also the chief medical advisor of Playground, a women's sex and wellness company that provides products such as different lubricant options as well as an area on their website where you can actually post questions about sex and wellness and she'll answer you. So Dr. Shama, thanks so much for being here with me today. I've been so excited to chat with you about perimenopause and
1: sex. Thank you so much for having me, I'm very happy to be here and happy to answer all the questions that you might have.
0: How? Well, let's just let's get started straight away. How can you tell the difference between when someone is not yet entering perimenopause and then has started? And then what does that migration through menopause and postmenopause look like?
1: That's a great question. Um, There's a lot of sort of confusion and sort of unknowns around this. Uh, So you kind of have to work backwards. So menopause is considered one full year without a period. And the average age of that is 51. So it could be a little earlier, could be a little later, really kind of depends on a lot of different factors, other medical conditions, genetic factors. Um, I often will say if you kind of know when your mom or your older sisters or aunts, you know, went through menopause, that might be a predictor of are you going to go on the earlier side, around average, or on the later side? But there's no like definitive way to know. Mm. So perimenopause are the five to seven years leading up to that, on average, where women will have symptoms suggestive of menopause. So they may still get a cycle. Um, it may start to become a bit irregular or a bit different in you know how it presents. Maybe a little longer, a little shorter. Cycles might be, you know, a bit varied, Um, how much their flow is might change, things like that. But then they may also notice other symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, um, difficulty sleeping, mood swings and disturbances, a bit more irritable, more depressed or more anxious. So different fluctuations in mood. They may actually also have some of the PMS symptoms that we typically associate with other times of our life, like Breast tenderness might be a little bit more, um, they may feel more bloated, they might feel more pain around their cycles, things like that. So um, there's a lot of variations in symptoms and everyone's experience is completely different. Um, But knowing that all of these things are a bit within that realm of norm is uh, often validating to know that it's not all in your head. It's absolutely possible it can start presenting if you think about the math as early as your you know early 40s um, you know till your mid40s so you might start experiencing some of these things um, Many times I'll point out to women that it's often tied to stressful, uh, events. So you might notice some of these symptoms are a bit crazier when you're going through more stressful things. Um, and if you think about our time of our lives in our 40s, that's when we deal with a lot of other stressful things, whether it's with family or where we are in our career or with our aging parents. Um, so we might have a lot of things on our plate that we're trying to juggle as well. So these things, unfortunately, kind of come up around the same time.
0: I hear a lot of, uh, a lot of people talking about some symptoms that go sort of outside of what you just described, like what you described, uh, lower sex drive, difficulty sleeping, lots of mental fatigue and fogginess, hot flashes, of course, these are some of the more well known symptoms of perimenopause. But I've also heard about things like feeling really dead inside and having itching ears or uh, a metal or sort of tannic taste in the mouth or inflamed gums. Are those really tied to menopause? Or is that sort of what's become part of uh, maybe a bigger conversation that blurs the lines between stress and adrenal function and then perimenopause?
1: You know, it's, that it's um, a hard thing to answer because to some degree, I do think those things it, that menopause and perimenopause can present in some of these, you know, less- common ways. Um, temperature dysregulation, often we say hot flashes. Other people, it's actually feeling very cold. Um, libido fluctuations can go in both ways. Yes, ringing of the ears, joint pains. Um, so there's this, there are some sort of secondary, tertiary sort of layers of symptoms that I think can come on. Chicken or egg, are you more susceptible because there's something else already sort of in the works that, now this stressor on your body with the hormone fluctuations seems to um, highlight it or, or heighten those experiences. Um, it's a bit hard to say. I, it, they're often not in isolation. So often when someone will bring up some of these less common symptoms, there are some of the more common things going on. Um, and I can't necessarily say that it's it's menopause in the sense or perimenopause in the sense that the primary reason is because the hormones are fluctuating and therefore you have these you know less common symptoms. But the hormones fluctuating, causing the stress on the body, can definitely heighten other things that are going on. So I feel like there's definitely some ties to that, mm-hmm. um, but you know, not necessarily a straight line. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, well, what exactly is happening hormonally? right? I, I often hear things from my clients and friends. They'll go to the doctor and say, I'm having all these symptoms, and they'll get their labs run, but their labs come back and they say they're within normal limits or they're, they're yeah. nothing to look at here. But it really is invalidating to what they're experiencing in their body. So, can you walk us through what actually is going on hormonally in this time in the body? Sure.
1: Yeah. So, hormonally, you know, we think menopause, just by even the name, means that our hormones are being paused or stopped or dropping and you know it's sort of this straight decline. but it's not actually that straightforward. Um, so when a patient comes to me and reports these symptoms, we may discuss hormone testing, but I'm very careful to explain to them that the hormones don't rule out perimenopause. they don't rule out menopause because the whole thing is that during those years where the symptoms are fluctuating, so are the hormones. So the hormones are actually on a on a roller coaster ride. They can go up and down. They can fluctuate day to day. They're not following the normal patterns that we typically see, where at certain points in the cycle there's a there's a rhythm and there's a, um, a expected sort of um, shift in the in the hormone levels. Um, they're not doing those things as they as they have been for all these years. So those things can fluctuate. So yes, there may be days. Um, and even, you know, periods of time during this that hormones are completely normal. It looks like you have the hormones of a 25 year old. There's nothing wrong here. Um, But there may be other times that you catch a glimpse and they actually look very much so in menopause. We're we're drifting towards that. Mm -hmm. Um, And because it's fluctuant, it's so difficult to pinpoint that. So, you know, you want that, you know, and you almost uh, crave that answer on paper in numbers, right? Something palpable, something tangible. But it's important to remember that it doesn't rule it out and that, you know, we expect that level of fluctuation. And that is actually part of the challenge of perimenopause. Once in menopause, once we've actually, you know, sort of passed to that point and are sort of settling into it, then we do see more steady numbers. And actually, that's when symptoms seem to, for most women, um, equilibrate a little bit and settle down. It doesn't mean it's all gone, but they're a little more manageable, less um, intense, less varying. And it's because their body has sort of um, come to a new steady state that, that it's become accustomed to.
0: What are some of the other medical conditions or diagnostic considerations that people might be curious about if they think they're having per- perimenopausal symptoms, but maybe they're not sure? What, what could be some differential diagnoses for these symptoms?
1: Sure. So um, thyroid is a big one because many women will have thyroid dysfunction, and that's sometimes what uh, prompts the workup or or the diagnosis of it is because um, menstrual fluctuations and hormone and weight fluctuations, like the symptoms that you described, um, can often be one or the other. So it's a good time to get that evaluated. Um, also paying attention to what else is going on as far as, especially with if, if there are family history of other conditions like diabetes and heart disease, blood pressure fluctuations can happen, things like that, that can um, often, again, either piggyback on these stressors in the body um, or um, exacerbate some of these symptoms because these other things are going on in the background as well. Um, so that's another one. Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome is often something that's diagnosed at younger ages for most women, but not all, many women will go most of their life, not diagnosed with it. And sometimes it comes to light around this time too, because that's the time that someone checks the hormone levels and starts to, you know, see these other indica- indicators of it. So many times it's something that goes on, un, um, evaluated until they're being evaluated for additional things like thyroid or, um, or, uh, perimenopause. Um, those are the big ones I would say, and, you know, kind of the, the, ones to make sure, um, often if there's hormone, uh, induced sort of bleeding irregularities, I'll often, um, include like a, a pelvic ultrasound just to make sure there aren't ovarian cysts that can be, sh- uh, throwing off hormone levels, um, for example, or other kinds of uterine pathologies that can cause irregular bleeding patterns. Um, so all of those things, any of those things could be, um, involved.
0: Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of research studies lately that have been discussing how many women experience medical gaslighting in general, but especially as it relates to perimenopause and some of the symptoms that we're describing. What are some of the ways that you would recommend they advocate for themselves within the medical system. I mean, I've heard stories of people getting um, referred to this specialist and that specialist and this specialist and just sort of like bumped around right. without really getting uh, a thorough education on what could be going on. And so it results in a lot of distress
1: and expense for people who are trying to just get an answer. Absolutely, I've seen this in not just perimenopause but many different women's health Concerns, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, endometriosis, chronic pelvic pain, perimenopause, for sure. I mean, all of these things. And um, I, I see and I speak to these patients and then, you know, kind of looking back on their sort of journey to kind of get these answers. Honestly, a lot of it often comes from not necessarily a um, vindictive or negative position from their from their provider, but sometimes just also a bit of lack of education and lack of knowledge in this space, um, I will be the first to admit that in my OBGYN residency, I didn't learn a lot about any of those conditions that I listed, right? I didn't spend a lot of time training on that. I really learned all of that in my fellowship. And then in my first job out of fellowship when I was in the, you know, actual doing the work and actually meeting these patients and, you know, being the one to look into it and investigate it. When that happens, the way that I often encourage, you know, people to to advocate for themselves is to do the research and find someone who listens. Who, is, you know, this is something that they they focus on. Um, so you mentioned before that I'm a NAMS certified uh, menopause specialist. Menopause.org is the menopause society website, and they actually have a list of certified providers who deal with menopause like that is, you know, they have to maintain a certification every two years. They either have to repeat an exam, which was not easy, or keep up on up-to-date credits and have a certain number of credits every two years in order to qualify for the recertification. So, you know, they're staying up to date. They're attending the conferences and reading the articles. And you know, really, this is a part of their practice if they're certified.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that resource. That'll be really helpful for people who are really feeling lost right now.
1: Addy.
0: Ladies, did you know that one of the most common complaints from women about their sexual health is a frustrating low libido? Our sex drives can decline, but it's also treatable. Addy, or flibanserin is FDA approved and has been clinically proven to increase sexual desire in certain premenopausal women who are bothered by a low libido. So if you feel like you've lost your desire and you want to get it back, stop falling for the snake oils and ask your doctor about Addy today. Or go to Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I dot
2: Addy is for premenopausal women with acquired generalized hypoactive sexual desire disorder, HSDD, who have not had problems with low sexual desire in the past, who have low sexual desire no matter the type of sexual activity, the situation, or the sexual partner. The low sexual desire is troubling to them and is not due to a medical or mental health problem, problems in the relationship, or medicine or other drug use. Addy is not for use in men or to enhance sexual performance. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is increased if you drink one to two standard alcoholic drinks close in time to your Addy dose. Wait at least two hours after drinking before taking Addy at bedtime. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is also increased if you take certain prescriptions, over-the-counter or herbal medications or have liver problems. Low blood pressure and fainting can happen when you take Addy, even if you don't drink alcohol or take other medicines. Do not take if you are allergic to any of the ingredients in Addy. Allergic reactions may include hives, itching or trouble breathing. Sleepiness, sometimes serious can occur. Common side effects include dizziness, nausea, tiredness, difficulty, Difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep and dry mouth. See full PI and medication guide, including box warning at addie.com forward slash PI or call 844 pink pill. Go to addie.com and use code GET
0: NAKED for a $10 telemedicine appointment to find out if Addi is right for you. Another question that frequently comes up for me, which is outside the scope of practice, is whether or not it makes sense to explore something like hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. And as a mental health provider, I don't have a lot of information about this, but I do hear that there are some medical professionals who are wildly in favor of this and then some who really think it's uh, an option to avoid. And I'm really curious about your take and what it really is.
1: What does it involve? Sure. Who's a good candidate? What are some of the risks? Sure. So hormone replacement therapy... Is basically replenishing some of the hormone that you're losing or that has become sort of in disarray in this perimenopause menopausal sort of state. Um, And it's basically replenishing estrogen and progesterone. If you have a uterus, you need progesterone because it protects the uterus um, from uh, estrogen alone. If you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone. You could just do estrogen alone. That's sort of the very basic kind of theory behind it. Of course, you can replenish all the different levels in different ways, but you know sort of straightforward, that's something kind of uh, baseline approach. When someone's in perimenopause, you can actually replenish it by doing something as simple as a birth control pill that contains estrogen and progesterone. And what you're doing is you're again, you're trying to create a bit more of a steady state for a person so that they're not experiencing all these fluctuations that are completely throwing you know a wrench in their whole function. Um, so trying to create a little bit more of a level playing field helps a bit. So that's one basic way. And that's birth control, I wouldn't, it, it's not the same category as hormone replacement because it's, it's um, the delivery, the, the levels that we're talking about of the formulations are different. When it's true hormone replacement therapy, what we're talking about is after menopause, our period is stopped, it's one full year, normal, you know, hormones are down to that level. It's a very low level of hormone in our body now because it's not enough to induce a period anymore, right? Now we're talking about hormone replacement therapy. Those therapies are actually at much level, lower levels than what birth control provides. So therefore a lot of the same considerations are a bit different too, because you don't have as much risk related to the level of hormone. Um, So you're talking about much lower levels, but again, the idea is buffering the loss, creating a little bit more sort of a cushion there. So you're not experiencing, you know, the drastic drop in hormones Um, and you can titrate that. There is different delivery methods. Um, There are oral, there's transdermal, there's um, rings that you can place all different kinds of things, ways to get it um, into the body. Um, some of the studies have shown that transdermal through the skin is a bit safer than oral for some of the risk factors so often that's usually one of the first line therapies Um, I like that one the best particularly because you can titrate it a little bit you can start with you know different steps take smaller steps in dosing to get someone to where they really need so make it very individualized in their treatment Um, but the idea is that you're treating to help improve the symptoms. So for every person, it might be a different amount, how much they need. Um, also how long they need it might be different too. So um, many women will experience the most difficulty in sort of those initial sort of three to five years really as their body again is adjusting to this lower level, to this different level. So if you can buffer it for a bit, they often um, transition a little bit smoother. Uh, mm-hmm. things like sleep um, are a bit better. Hot flashes and night sweats are less disruptive. Um, mood swings are less problematic, again, less disruptive. And that makes things a little bit more manageable. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it'll go away a hundred percent. No, you're not necessarily going to feel, again, like you're 25, but it'll help that transition be a bit smoother, a, a bit more tolerable. Um, and, and you can kind of manage that. So ideally, you know, after some years, you again, you start to tritrate off a little bit, kind of baby step your way off the medication, and you can kind of come off and kind of gradually sort of settle into your natural levels. Um, some women aren't able to do that, and we maybe need it for a little bit longer, and that's where we start to weigh what are your risk factors. Okay? Mm. Um, from a risk factor standpoint, what are our concerns? So with hormone replacement therapy, our biggest concern really is for prolonged use of, and at higher levels, we worry about cardiovascular risk and stroke. Um, heart disease and stroke and that is often shown in women that have been on it for a very long time or if they start it very far out of menopause Mm -hmm. Um, and that is actually where the big fears arose one of the safest things to do though speaking about perimenopause menopause and how it affects sex Mm -hmm. is a local vaginal estrogen so local delivery of estrogen treats the vaginal um, cells directly uh, and there's very little systemic effect, so meaning it doesn't really spread to the whole body. It's not meant to treat hot flashes and night sweats and mood and all the other things. It's really just meant to treat the vaginal mucosa, help with lubrication, help prevent infections, help balance the pH, and keep things sort of in a better state down there, keep the vaginal tissue healthier. Interesting. Um, and that's definitely an option for most women.
0: Over the course of perimenopause and that transition into menopause, when would someone expect to start experiencing a dearth of lubrication naturally? When when will that start to show up?
1: So I often would see say that it. I often see that it's later for most women. So that's actually more of like the secondary, like sort of line of changes, but not for everyone. Some women start experiencing it much earlier. Um, So we'll bring it up and I'll say, watch out for that. You know, are you sexually active? Are you having any trouble? Is is there any pain or discomfort? Are you feeling any dryness? And the answer is no. Great. But keep an eye out for that. Don't wait for it to become, you know, problematic before you bring it up. Um, I always recommend a lubricant. Having a lubricant there that's not throwing off the page, that's helping with decreasing friction, um, decreasing irritation, and, you know, sort of uh, preventing pain. Anything like that is going to be helpful. For you, it's going to help um, keep things uh, less reactive um, if, if you keep if, keep on top of that. But there comes a time when the hormone changes uh, are no longer solved with just lubrication for many women, and that's where you have to think about okay, what do we do? Do we um, focus on pH balancing, where there are products like moisturizers available, or Mm -hmm. do we go right to the source, the actual root of the problem, which is the loss of estrogen to that tissue. And now that tissue is really starting to decline as a result.
0: Yeah. So one of the questions that comes up a lot for people who are experiencing these symptoms is how do I address my desire and changes in my desire? So what are some of the things hormonally that are contributing to that How do we know what's a hormone issue versus an environmental issue or something
1: else and how do you recommend people move through that um i agree that is a very complicated question and part of it is because the whole um cascade of events and things that must happen for a woman uh for arousal for desire is much more complicated, right? There's from the arousal to climax, it can be very complicated. So there's all these psychological factors, there's physical factors. So kind of figuring out and parsing out what is um, truly at play can be difficult. So often I'll start with, you know, bringing that up, having them sort of think about those things um, and starting with, well, let's at least correct and start to see is it doesn't have to do with pain because if sex is uncomfortable, If it's painful, if it's dry, if it's unpleasant, um, if you can't climax because it's uncomfortable, if if you're in pain, you're not going to reach that point, right? Right. So if all of these things are happening, your desire for that is going to go down too. So you have to address and make sure physically things are in a better place. And so we try to address that first sometimes. And then I'll plant the seed to have this thought like, okay, what else is going on? Are you making time for yourself? Are, how do you feel in your body? Your body is changing. Have you, are you confident in your body? Are you, um, you know, judging of your body? Are you uh, disappointed in changes that you're experiencing with the way that you look and how you feel? Um, are you getting enough sleep? Are you stressed out about everything else that's going on in your life? Like, you know, where's your mind about this? Is this even a priority really to you? Are you bringing it up because, you know, you're, uh, uh upset about how you're, how your partner is handling it? Or are you upset about it because you truly want to improve your, you know, your desire and your state? Um, So all of these things become complex. It often does involve talking with a therapist as well, and also addressing the physical side of it. So we'll often try to parse through it. But for me, from my side, you know, the idea that you know, painful sex is not going to be satisfying, pleasurable, or desirable, right? So you're not going to want to go down that road at all. It will never come up to the top of your list of something you want to fix or improve upon or work upon or make time for. Um, So that's where things like making sure lubrication is appropriate and the hormone balances are correct, that all of that is there. Um, Yes, the hormone shifts can play a role in libido too, right? What your estrogen level, your testosterone levels, all those things are kind of going up and down during this time. And that can definitely influence it too. And there may be a role for correction on that side to some degree, but if the, if again, if it's dry and painful, correct, you can correct that till the cows come home. It's not going to fix the problem. (laughs) So you have to address it from both angles.
0: Yeah. I often hear the phrase, if you don't use it, you lose it as it relates to, um, uh, sen- sensation or pleasure um, and really stability in the vagina. And I wonder if that's true, or again, if that's maybe a conflated myth of the experience. So can you say a little bit about vaginal atrophy and sort of what the realities of that could be?
1: Sure. So the the vaginal um, canal, the mucosa, the tissue is very sensitive and there's a lot of different things at play mm-hmm. as are Hormone levels change as atrophy is one of the things that happen, and basically the lining the lining of that canal gets thinner and less elastic, and there are, it, it's um, less lubricated. There's less lubrication being produced by those cells, so that's one of the things that you want to address. So whether it's by replenishing lubrication and yes, using it because that taxes the cells to remain pliant and stretchy and you know accommodating right? Um, As opposed to being sort of structured and tighter and sort of fixed. Um, So yes, improving lubrication in that way can help that and employing, you know, again, a good lubricant versus um, and sometimes beyond that would be improving the cells themselves by replenishing the hormone in the area. So as at first thought, you think it's a bit silly to think, oh, if you, you know, don't use it, you lose it. But that's if you're thinking about it in a very, like, you know, um, uh, basic and kind of obvious way, but if you kind of think about it a little bit deeper about how those cells and how that um, anatomy functions, mm-hmm. it is true um, in a couple of different ways. One, if you, if you aren't trying to um, explore what feels good and what's important to you, how your orgasm could have changed, what anatomy is stimulated can change. So if you're not using it to kind of look for those changes and um, experience those things and really kind of um, navigate that, yes, you you kind of do lose that desire for it because, again, you're not um, linking that sort of muscle memory, tissue memory, experience memory to the function itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're not, again, putting um, sort of uh, asking the tissue to do the things that you want it to do, again, remain pliant, remain um, lubricated, um, and be able to convey that pleasure, you're also going to kind of lose connection with that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I imagine it's similar to uh, what a lot of people experienced in the pandemic working from home, having such a sedentary life, right? The body starts to change and feel more rigid and less flexible and less able to do some of the physical activities that you used to do. And that coupled with age can make it more challenging to then go out and play basketball or go for the run that you used to like to do. So why would we expect the vaginal canal to react differently? Right. Exactly.
1: So same way, you know, whether it's self-exploration or making time with your partner, whatever it might be, trying to figure out what it is that it takes to kind of maintain that that interest. Are there
0: any kinds of um, diet and exercise sort of strategies that might be helpful in reducing some of the symptoms and and or increasing desire, increasing lubrication, things that folks can do more naturally?
1: Um, there there are some supplements that are available that um, speak to improving moisture, improving mo- um, pH balancing, things like that. Um, I often tell patients to pay attention to the pH balance microbiome aspect, right? So many parts of our body have its own um, microbiology to it. It has its own sort of flora that's supposed to live there. So, you know, a balance of certain bacteria, yeast, whatever it might be that's necessary in different parts. Our vagina has bacteria and yeast that are supposed to be there. Um, and some of the pH changes that happen with hormone changes affect that balance, but then so do some of our practices, right? So, which is why, how we bathe, what kind of products we use, being careful about that. Um, we don't recommend douching because we don't wanna wipe out the the, you know, ha- the positive flora that's supposed to be there. Um we want to be um, careful about our diets because imbalanced diets will also affect um, how bacteria is you know sort of lives and how yeast grows in, in certain parts of the body. Um, you know and and so sometimes it's a matter of taking a probiotic that helps replenish that sometimes it's a matter of making sure again, products that we use are in line with keeping things you know where they're supposed to be um, neutral for the area, which is not necessarily a neutral pH, but it's you know what's supposed to be kind of normal for the area.
0: So you are also an advisor to The Playground. So can we talk a little bit about this company and sure. what you do with them and, and kind of what they do to offer help for folks who are in perimenopause?
1: Sure, so I got involved with Playground um, kind of organically. It came up with a friend of a friend um telling me that they they were that, that somebody was starting this company um that was focused on female sexual wellness. Like that was their main goal was to make um sexual well being a priority for women and for women to sort of reclaim this as their own, right? Not something they need to be ashamed of, something they could have fun with, something they could, you know, um really kind of um Embrace as a positive part of their health and well-being um, and not something that, you know Needs to be sort of brushed under the rug or kind of addressed in in the dark um, and and kind of bring it to light and they uh, are, It's developed by two females that got into it from the sort of health and wellness and um, Beauty side of business and really looked at what was available out there for female for for lubrication for lubricants that were available to women at the time like um out on the market and it was actually kind of dismal as far as what was available like the type of products that were there weren't really designed with vaginas <laughs> in mind like what does the vagina need does our what does our body need in order for it to be a pleasant experience for it to be a healthy experience and so they got to work formulating something that would actually take all that into account. So ingredients that are you know, not harmful, that are um, more natural and also mm-hmm. pH supporting, right? Mm-hmm. Not gonna throw a huge you know, uh, wrench into the way our body functions from a pH balancing standpoint. So that was their approach to it. And I loved this idea because I'm constantly being asked, you know, when I'm having these conversations. So what is a lubricant that you recommend? Is there something out there and available that I could, you know, purchase or look for? And I had a hard time, you know, telling them something specific because there really weren't that many options. Um, And if there were some options, they were sometimes very expensive or hard to get a hold of. And so, you know, having something that was specifically for this purpose with this in mind just seemed like such a great, just a great philosophy. Um, so that's how I got involved with them. So basically they have, um, uh, four different types of lubricants, scented and unscented as well. Um, and they're moving into a few different uh, products as well. And I came on as a medical advisor. So a lot of what my initial tasks were, were really kind of looking at the ingredients that they were using, talking about what is so important about lubrication, all the things that we just talked about, why is it so important um, to our sexual well-being and especially at different particular different times of our lives. So perimenopause and menopause is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Postpartum is another big one. Um, anytime anybody's on any kind of hormone affecting whether it's medication or illnesses, whatever it might be, whether anything from breast cancer to birth control use um, can affect our pH balance. So making sure we have something that we can rely on that can help us with those issues without it being a stigma or negativity surrounding using it, like something is wrong and that's why you need it. No, it's because we want things to be healthy and pleasurable and positive and, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I came on board with that, as you mentioned on the website, we're starting um, a um, section called um, office hours with Dr. Sharma, where I get to add, answer questions um, and do videos and posts related to questions that are being asked specifically about, you know, sexual wellness, women's health, vaginal wellness, whatever it might be. Um, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, what's the website address for people who want to get some feedback from you? So it's helloplayground.com and they'll be able to see um, information about our sexual wellness council and um, the office hours with dr shama there amazing well thank you so much for this
0: Um, do you offer any other kinds of services are you still in practice actively
1: yes i'm in clinical practice in central new jersey um i'm also available um my website is drmatthewsgyn.com, drmatthewsgyn. And also through um, Instagram, I occasionally will post information there as well.
0: Wonderful. Thank
1: you so much for this conversation. I have learned a
0: ton and can't wait to help my clients find this information through the episode and through your other sources of content. So appreciate it.
1: I appreciate your time. And thank you so much for all the work you do as well, because I know that I have patients that definitely benefit from what you provide. Hmm. Thank you. All right, everyone, we'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. Everyone has questions, and I want to answer as many as I can. So feel free to email your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com. If you're looking for a free 30-minute consultation with me or someone on my team, visit modernintimacy.com. And don't forget to join our newsletter, Modern Intimacy, on Substack. Let's meet back here next week. A new episode drops every Tuesday. Disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy and does not constitute a professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or Modern Intimacy. This podcast is strictly for education and entertainment purposes only. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death